gosh, I'm a little tired today. A little bit. Have you ever had one of those days that you wish you had that second cup of coffee? You know, that you, you knew that one wasn't enough? You know, I only had about a half a cup. Uh, you know, I just, uh, yesterday I did a 12-hour shift from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. at Forsyth Hospital. And I'm the only, normally there's like nine chaplains there during the week, but if you're the, the weekend chaplain, you, there's, you know, you basically. So there's one chaplain to take care of a 900-bed hospital, and it's just basically one spiritual calamity after another, just one, th- like one patient and another patient and another. It's tough. It's just tough. But it's not always like that. So I, I work at a variety of different hospitals, and some of them are like Forsyth, and others are really small, and there's not a lot going on, and things like that. It was, it was last week that I was at a hospital that was sort of a small rural hospital, you know, out there, and, and I was sort of filling in for the night chaplain. They have a day chaplain there and a night chaplain. And I was coming in around, oh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon or so, and I met the day chaplain there, a woman named Jenny Lynn. And she's a very excitable person. And the first thing she did as soon as she saw me coming in, I was a little bit, a little early, and she just, she stamped me with a sticker. Like one. And then another. It was, and, and they said, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And there was, there was a cross there and some sort of dust or something like that. And, and, but, and, and, get, and, I, and she's like, Happy Ash Wednesday! And I was like, What? Really? I did, I, I, you know, being a, a Quaker, I don't really follow these things maybe as good as I should. I just, uh, I had forgotten it was Ash Wednesday. And, uh, you know, with me, it's always, you know, gosh, I always try to remember it's February, it's Easter. You know, it, Anyway, so I got a chance to talk to her. It's the first time I've ever really got a chance to talk to her one-on-one, and we talked about her life and who she was as a person. She was a diplomat's child, and she went all over the world, and she was in Jordan and Malaysia and all these incredible things, and we talked about her kids and and stuff. But what she really wanted to talk about, which was sort of interesting, was um, baptism. Baptism. Because uh, Jenny Lynn was a Baptist, or is a Baptist, I should say, at heart. She is one of those deep water Baptists, if you know what I mean. I mean, that water needs to be cold, and running, and full immersion. And, you know, you hold them down a little bit longer than they want, you know. (laughs) Make them struggle. You You need to see them squirt. Get all that sin off of them. Get it all off. Needs to come off. Anyway, that's what she was raised as. That was where she was born and raised and reared, and just that was her tradition. But she's not a Baptist anymore because her denomination, the denomination of Baptists that she's a part of, don't, don't they don't recognize women clergy. So women are not allowed to be chaplains or pastors or or deacons and other things like that in her denomination. So she had to give that up and become a Methodist, of all things. So now she's a Methodist. And what she was confused or just, you know, really thinking about is that she had recently been asked to do an infant baptism. 
with sprinkles. And she asked me as a Quaker, what did I, what did I think about that? Because she was really, really wrestling with this and what it meant for her. And it's, it's hard for me to say. I mean, it's always sort of interesting as a Quaker to, to talk about water baptism and what it is and what it means to us and, and things. It's not easy. You know, because we are, okay, so of all the thousands of denominations out there, do you know how many don't have water baptism? Of all, there's thousands of denominations. There are two. Two. It's us, and anybody, does anybody else know the other, uh, the other denomination that does not baptize with water? No, they do. They do. Uh, the Salvation Army is the only other one that doesn't uh, baptize with It's just us and them. That's it. Everybody else uh, has a baptism. And so it's sort of hard for us to talk about it because we're, there's so few of us. And it's, you know, so I've gotten into disagreements about that. And it's, it's easy for, for the people who believe in water baptism to just say, hey, let's read the Bible, all right? Let's just read it right here. Quakers, read this. Matthew 28, 19. Right? The Great Commission. Right? Then go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have baptism evidence in the early church. In the very earliest churches that we've uncovered archaeologically, there's baptismal sometimes. And it's obviously mentioned in the New Testament some. And even still, Jesus... I just read it. Jesus was baptized, right? You know, set, match. Like, you know, if Ronnie was here, Ronnie, uh, if Ronnie was here, that's Rachel's job. This is when we're like playing crazy eights, and you're like, you put down the last card, the last eight. You know, done. I mean, is that it? I mean, is it just obvious that we're just sort of wrong on that? I guess a question we can begin to ask ourselves is who invented baptism? Was it John the Baptist who invented baptism? Not exactly. No, actually, the Jews did. It was actually a common first century practice. It still is a, a baptism. So when Jews go to do a religious service, they'll often take a ritual bath before they do that. And the, we have the Essenes in like the, the Dead Sea community or whatever. They did ritual baptism very frequently. And even in the first century, when somebody who was like a Roman or a Greek wanted to become a Jewish, baptism was part of the process. So you would have to be circumcised, then you would be baptized, and then you would offer a sacrifice at the temple. That's just sort of how that worked. So baptism was, was, was right there. And it's sort of interesting in a way that we've gotten rid of the circumcision and we've got rid of the sacrifice, but we've kept the baptism. We've held on to that. And I guess the question could be, is, is we could ask ourselves, is how many people did Jesus baptize? Of all the people that Jesus baptized, how many, can we count them? Well, we actually can't, because there's nobody. Jesus baptized no one. 
absolutely no one his entire time. And never a time when he was getting disciples and stuff like that, he said, hey, you, you need to get baptized. You, yes, you, right? You specifically. Never did it. He never tells anyone to get baptized during his lifetime. And in fact, when he gathers them all together, when he gathers his disciples together, he says, you guys need to do a lot. You need to do this and this and this and that and that. Here's what he tells them to do. He says, this is from Matthew chapter 10. He says, go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, and give as freely as you have received. Never, never a mention of baptism. You'd think that if it was really important that that was something that needs to be done, he could have said, why not there? It seems like a perfect place. In fact, the only mention of baptism by Jesus, who actually specifically mentions, is that passage that I read, that Great Commission. That's it. And even then, it didn't really mention water baptism. It just says baptism. In fact, when the baptism is brought up, it's almost always compared, the water baptism is compared to a spiritual baptism, and the water baptism is sort of low. And and it's always the spiritual that is elevated. Let's say if we read from Acts... Gosh, if I can find it right here. This is the last thing Jesus mentions to his apostles. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you what he promised. Remember, I have told you about this before. John baptized with water. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Father sets those dates, but when the Holy Spirit has come to you, you will receive power and will tell about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Always a little, it's different. You know, I sort of think it's, it's sort of interesting what we focus on when we read these baptism stories. You know, we have the, the story of Jesus being baptized. He sort of, sort of comes out of nowhere. He goes down to the River Jordan, is baptized by John, and the whole sky opens up. And the Spirit of God descends like a dove. And there's a voice that says, This is my Son of whom I am well pleased. Gosh, all that stuff's going on and we're thinking about the the water instead of what is going on around it, the spiritual stuff. You know, a, a classic example is this is the evangelist Philip. Now I don't know if you know this, but I like the Phillips in the Bible. <laughs> I'm partial to him. Anyway, this evangelist Philip, he's a pretty cool guy. Um, the story of his baptism, uh, of the, what he does as a baptism, is actually probably the second most detailed baptism story we have in the Bible. And what we have there is Philip, whose his spirit is the spirit, uh, Holy Spirit is always communicating him to do different things. And so the Holy Spirit tells him to go to the wilderness road. So I guess it was in the wilderness, right? And it's between Jerusalem and Gaza. And he's just compelled to go there. He goes there. 
The Spirit tells him to go there. The Spirit tells him to wait there, and there's a guy, an official, an Ethiopian official, a eunuch, a treasurer who happens to be going by on a chariot, and the Spirit tells Philip to go and talk to this man. And at this moment, the, 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 the official is reading the scriptures, and, and Philip is led to tell him what the scriptures maybe mean. And then this, this, this Ethiopian guy says, man, what is to prevent me from being baptized right now at this very moment? It's such a powerful story. The idea you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for the perfect service or for the you know, preacher to arrive. It can happen right now. And so accordingly, they stop the chariot. They find, they say, water by the side of the road. I always imagine muddy water, right? And they go down into this muddy water, and Philip baptizes this official, this Ethiopian, and immediately is whisked by the Spirit 30 miles away. There's arguments about whether it's a miracle or not a miracle. Whisked away. And so the Spirit tells him to go here and do that and talk here and whisk him away. And we focus on the muddy water. There's something else going on here. You know, that same Philip, he goes to Samaria. He basically uh, starts a church, for lack of a better, in Samaria. And he starts baptizing folks there. And there's a guy named Simon. They call him Simon the Great. I guess he was great. And he was like a magician. I guess he was a great magician. And he could do all these tricks, but he found Philip, and and he was baptized, and he's so excited, he's so into it, he follows Philip around like a puppy. It's not actually in the scriptures written like like a puppy, but that's a paraphrase, I guess. But there he was, he's hanging out with Philip, and all of a sudden, Peter and James come up from Jerusalem, the big dudes, right? And they are coming up, instead of baptizing with water, they are baptizing with the Holy Spirit. And they are driving out demons, there are people talking in tongues, and Simon sees it and he's like, oh my, I want that. I want that. And he goes up to Peter and he says, Peter, how much to get the spirit of the God thing? How much silver do you want? And Peter says, you can just eat. You can just eat your silver. Because it's not for sale. No matter how much you pay, you can't buy the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not for sale. You know, we, we talk about these different baptisms and, and what they mean and what they are, you know, it's, it's sort of interesting. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sort of cheat a little bit. I'm going to use Barclay, you know, Robert Barclay. Uh, I'm going to sort of cheat and use it. What they did is, this is the Quaker response to baptism in a way, and I'm just going to use theirs. It says, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, there is one God, one faith, one creator, and one baptism, who is through all, in all, and above all. What is that baptism? What is a spiritual baptism? 
if we were going to read the scriptures, I guess we could talk about uh, demons and, and, and dr driving and holy tongues and such, but what does it mean for us? Us Quakers, that there is one baptism where God is within all, all, yeah, it's just... I remember when I was in my early 20s, and I was in a tough place. I didn't know where I was going, and I was just seeking God. I just wanted to have a sacred experience, have some sort of connection to something greater. I just, I wanted it, but I didn't know where to go. And so I was praying, and I was praying, and I was praying, meditating, prayer, reading the scriptures. And I just wanted that. And I remember I wanted it, I wanted it, I was praying, I was praying. I remember I was in the, the shower. I was in the shower. I was showering this early morning. It was like a lightning. Like a jolt of... In I mean, I just felt the Spirit of God around me. I could feel the presence of, of Jesus around me and within me and all around. And it, was, it blew me away. I mean, I literally wondered if I was in holy water. And I knew at that moment, I knew at that very moment that no matter where I went in life, no matter what I did, that the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Yeshua, it, it would never leave me. It was with me forever. It would guide my heart. What is it? What is the spiritual baptism? Gosh, I'll tell you a story. There's a man named Jim. And he was at our hospice house. A hospice house is a place where people go to, to pass away the last few weeks or days of their life. And there was a guy there named Jim. And I had never met him before. I had never, ever met him before. That sort of happens like that in chaplaincy. And I was so brand new as a chaplain that I, they didn't trust me too much. So my boss, mentor, person, Susan, uh, was there to make sure I did okay. And this guy had requested a chaplain to come to the, the, him to visit him at his room. And I, and I went in there and I started talking to him and I found out a little bit about his life and his struggles and who he was as a person. And he was talking to me just like you and, I mean, you and I could be talking right now. Just going back and forth, we're talking. Except every few moments or so, every a couple, every few minutes, he'd he would groan. Just have that groan. And we were talking a little bit, and I found out he was a soldier. He was a soldier in Vietnam, and apparently he had done some things and been some places and been a part of some things that were just real tough, real hard to witness or see or participate in, and just, and I remember him asking me, this is not the, some soldiers are like this. I find it more true with those guys sometimes. And he said, he asked me, he says, do you believe in forgiveness? Of course, my immediate, of course, I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to say, yes. Yes, I believe in forgiveness. 
and he was like, really? And I could begin to see that he was beginning to tear up. And I said, yeah, really? You know, I believe you can totally be forgiven. You can, you, yes, I believe in forgiveness. And he just started to smile, and he was, he was almost crying, and, and my boss was like, you know, I guess we had just heard so much. He said, she said, hey, Jim, do you need to tell us anything? Do you want to share something? And he's like, no, n- no. And it sort of woke him up. Do you know what I mean? Where people are a little bit fragile, they're a little raw, and they just they sort of wake up a little bit. And we talked a little bit longer, and, and, and it just was time, and I was like, hey, Jim, do, would you like to pray? Would that be something you'd want? And he said, yeah, that, I would love that. I would love to have prayer. And so we all gathered hand, and Susan, him, and I, and, and, and I just said a prayer. I said, God... We ask for your love right now and your peace and your forgiveness. All that stuff, the peace and the forgiveness for all the stuff that we've said, for all the stuff we haven't said, all the stuff we've done, all the stuff we haven't done. And we want you to take that forgiveness and that peace and we want you to just share it, put it over everything, all of it. And I, could, I looked at him and he was, he was just crying. So, I, anyway, what happened was in the middle of my prayer, if you don't know me or not, I can go on. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on. And especially sometimes with these prayers, they can go on a ways. So I remember I was praying in, in the middle of that prayer, well, toward the end, he took my hand and he started to let go. And I was like, whoa, the prayer's not over, bud. And so I tried to grab his hand, and he held it for a moment more, and then he just sort of gently, like a dove, like a, like a dove, he just took his hand away and just with deliberateness set it down. Well, I don't know about you, but when I'm praying and something happens like that, there's like a, you know, I just keep praying. And so I prayed another 10 seconds or so, you know, just a couple more things, and I heard a, (gasps) and he was gone. In that one moment, he was gone. What is Baptism. What is spiritual baptism? It's a, it's a mysterious thing. It's not easy to define. It's not like a cup of water. It happens in our hearts. It happens in our spirit. So what did I say to her? What did I say to Jenny Lynn about her question? I told her, I said, hey, I I think you should have that ceremony. You should have it. If it's meaningful to you, if it means something to you, if it's helpful, have that ceremony. But the real baptism, it's, it's not found in a creek. 
or muddy water. It's found in our hearts. And if it's not found there, I don't think it ever really was.